Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today? Was that a powerful worship set or what? Wow. We are a blessed people to have the musicians that we have that, that love music, but first of all, love Jesus. And they lead us to the throne of God. Thank you so much, Pastor Jared, Lisa with the choir. Thank you for all you do. As we get started this morning, I ran across a book recently that I thought was fun. It's the really important habits of Americans. Anybody want to kind of see how we compare to national stats? Anybody curious? I, I was as I looked at it. So, so by show of hands, when you're, when you're making a, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which goes on top, the peanut butter or the jelly? How many of you say jelly goes on top? All right, how many say peanut butter goes on top? We are the exact opposite of the nation. <laughs> 4% of the nation says jelly goes on top, 96% says peanut butter, and you all are just dumb. If you put the jelly on top, it's going to fall off before you put it down. Can the peanut butter people say amen? amen. I knew I'd get one amen today. All right. I won't pick on you the rest of the time. Yes, I will. Uh, so when you, when you put your socks away, do you roll them up or fold them flat? How many say roll them up? How many say fold them flat? Okay, 50-50. 51% rolls them and uh, 49% flat. Now, how many just throw them in a drawer and match them later? That's what I want to know. <laughs> but you know what I do is every year I throw them all away and I go buy all new black and all new white and then I ain't got to worry about it. Just, I got too many important things on my mind to worry about sorting socks. Okay, you with me? All right, how many of you will admit in church, no lying in church, that you've ever bit your fingernails? How many have ever bit your fingernails? Come on, 96% of Americans have said they have bit their fingernails. How many of you ever bit your toenails? 25% of Americans admit to having bit their toenails. I think that's how you get foot and mouth disease. Is that, is that how? Okay, when you fill up your car's gas tank, do you fill it up when it's three-quarter full, half full, quarter full, when it stops. Two percent said three-quarter, 18 uh, percent half, 33 percent quarter, almost empty, 47 percent of Americans fill up their cars. Okay. So here's an easy one. Who's usually late in your household? How many would say he? How many would say she? All right, six percent he, 90 percent she. How many would say both? We're just both. We're late. All right, all right, at the bridge, how many of you are second song people? How many of you are third song people? How many of you have never heard the choir in the history of attending the bridge? Okay, I just want to check on that to see where you are in all of that, okay? Uh, all right, how many will, of you will admit that when you use the last of the toilet paper, you leave the empty roll for the next person? Come on, be honest with it. That's not on the survey. I was just curious. God bless that hand. This wasn't the survey. It's huge. How many of you prefer the toilet paper roll go over versus under? How many, how many of you say over? 68% of Americans say over. How many say under? Got a couple say under. Okay. There's no reason for that. It's just fun. Okay. But we are talking about habits today that do impact our lives, and I kind of want to get the wheels turning in our heads uh, as we talk about these things. We're in a series we're calling Ripple Effect, and we're just simply working our way through uh, this idea 
that, uh, that what we do has profound effect uh, across our lives and that we have to be intentional about what we give our, our time, talents, uh, and treasures to. If you want uh, the notes from these messages, be glad to give them to you. Just email us at info at bridgechurch.cc. And if you go to the Bridge app today, right now, on your smartphone or your, your tablet, you can get the notes that are coming up today and you can follow along uh, with me as I share them. The, all the points, all the scriptures are right there in the app. And if you haven't done that yet, uh, then be sure to do that in the future. And if you don't know how, find a 12 year old, they'll be glad to hook you up and get you started on that. And if you post anything, and I hope you will, I, I really hope we get a trend going. I've given you a couple of sound bites today on, on purpose. I, I, I want you to post, and when you do, I want you to post uh, hashtag the ripple effect, okay? That way we'll all know what we're all saying to each other. But here's what I want you to understand. There are uh, thousands of people, that's not an exaggeration, there are thousands of people within driving distance of where we're sitting right now who believe in God, they're not sure they believe in the church. Is that true? Not just this church, the church. So they never darken the door of a church. I mean, there are 350 that watch us online every week. And God bless online streaming services. I'm thrilled that we can reach them. But there are people that will watch online, that will listen to Christian radio, but they're not going to come to a church because they're not church sure in many cases. They're not sure the church has anything to say about what's really going on in their lives. Well, I think we do. I think we can speak life into their lives, and so I want you to utilize Twitter and Facebook. I want you to utilize Instagram. I want you to post these things because, quite frankly, if you've got 100 friends or 1,000 friends or, like me, 80 gazillion friends that I don't even know, then, you know, you, uh, you post them, and that goes out and say, hey, man, they talk about real stuff at that church. Maybe, maybe I'll give church another try. I didn't have time to do all that, but I wanted to do that today. So let's get into it. Last week, we established four truths regarding the ripple effect. I think we got a little video we're going to flow. You see it? You make a splash in the center, and what happens? All of the other ripples flow from the inside to the out. So you have to pay attention to the middle uh, if you're really going to affect the outer ripples. Truth number two, the weaker the inside circle is the weaker the potential is for the ripples that flow out. It makes sense. You want bigger ripples, make a bigger splash in the center. Truth number three, uh, when an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, what happens? Chaos comes. Well, if you say, well, you know, I'm dropping some stuff in the middle, but out here on the fringes, or there it is, out there on the fringes, I want a bigger splash here, so I'm going to drop a rock out here. Now you've just created competing ripple effects. Does that make sense? And so it just chaos ensues. Number four, when order is maintained, life is good. Life is fulfilling. We finally begin to find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised us. And so last week, we kind of laid the groundwork for this by outlining that ripple effect in terms of the priorities that we set in our lives. I told you last week, if you don't set your priorities, the current pressures will be glad to set them for you. But that will always be chaotic. You with me? So what were the, we got the circles, the, the, the four priorities that we're talking about, that we're identifying. First of all, we sang about it today, powerful song, Jesus is the center, he's the most important circle, everything else flows out from that. Then we start focusing on our family, our marriage first if we're married, and then our kids if we have kids, and then our extended family, then our church family, our spiritual family, and then out of that, 
we begin to impact our communities. And I told you last week that week by week through this series, we're going to focus on, on what we need to do specifically. It's real practical stuff. Uh, what we need to do in each of those areas in order to create the effect that we're longing for. And today we're starting with the most important circle. We're focusing on the inner circle. We're focusing on the circle from which all other circles draw their power. And that is Jesus is the center. Here's how Jesus put it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. Do, do you see the if, then? You know that math equation thing? If this is true, then that'll be true. Do you see the if, then in that passage? The Bible's full of these if-then kind of things. You know, every promise of God has a premise to it. And so what's the if and what's the then? The if is if you will do this, God says, then I will do that. And, and let me just tell you right up front, God always keeps his promise. Uh, we may not be consistent with our commitments. He is. Okay? The sun comes up every morning. Government shut down, sun comes up. That's just the way it is. Got it? With me? Okay. So, what's the if-then statement? If you will do this, then I will do that. What, what is it? If <coughs> you will want what God wants, his kingdom, to grow and expand and more people to come into the kingdom of God because God made us to be recipients of his love, to be in fellowship with him. If you will want that to happen, the kingdom of God to grow, and you will do what he wants you to do, then what will happen? All the other stuff you're striving for will begin to be given to you. It, it just begins to come. So Pastor Jim paraphrase in the context of the ripple effect is simply this. If you want these other things, if you want your family to be strong, your marriage, your kids, your extended family, if you want your church family to be strong, if you want your community to know Jesus, then how do you do it? You make sure the source of all of that is your priority. Let's be clear now, having a relationship with God, making it into heaven, is not based on your works, it's grace. God has given us the freedom of grace, all we have to do is receive that free gift that he paid for on Calvary, and we get to go to heaven. We're not talking about whether you get to heaven, but we are talking about whether you have a fulfilling life now. We're talking about whether your family is fulfilled and healthy now. We're talking about how strong your church is now. We're talking about what inroads we're making into the community now. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, that's grace, and that they will have that life to its fullest, this fulfilling kind of life. So can we just be real honest before we get into it? It's a long intro, sorry about that, but... Uh, but I just I want to be clear about this. We all know people. Don't look at them, okay? Just look at me. We all know people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. They get their ticket punched. They're going to heaven. But they live far from a fulfilling life. They live way below their potential in Christ Jesus, right? Don't look at them. Just after church, say, he was talking about you. Just after church, you can do that. <laughs> In the car on the way home. He was talking about you. Okay. Here's all I'm saying. You know, this is not legalism stuff. Here's all I'm saying. The fulfilling life doesn't just happen automatically. It requires some intentionality. No matter how amazing your spiritual experiences are with Jesus, the fulfilling life has an if-then dynamic to it. Right? 
Jesus said, I will give you a fulfilling life if you will want what God wants, if you will do what God wants you to do. The Apostle Paul actually put it into an athletic metaphor. <coughs> uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, spend your time and energy in doing what? What does it say? In training yourself for spiritual fitness. So if you're an athlete, you want to make it to the Olympics, what do you do? You train hard. You work out hard. You get up, you go to the track, and you work hard. You go to the gym and you work hard. You, you put a lot of effort into it because there's a goal that you have in mind. Well, Paul's saying, in fact, he says in that passage that physical exercise has some benefit, but spiritual exercise has eternal benefit. Train yourself to be godly, NIV says, of that passage. And so that's what we're talking about today. I just want to give you three baseline habits that if you will build them into your life, uh, you will make the kind of splash in the center that then has the ripple effect that you want across all the areas of your life. And to make it practical, you guys are figuring me out, I think. I like practicality. One of my pet peeves is for a preacher to tell me what I should be doing and then not tell me how to do it. Right? And so before we leave here today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a very specific commitment to these habits in your life as we move forward. And, and so let me give you a social media minute we talked about, uh, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. Okay, here we go. This is the bottom line. Here's the crux of it all. If you've got to go to brunch, wait till this quote's over. Okay, here we go. People who find the fulfilling life build habits into their lives that people who struggle to find it aren't willing to commit to. Let me just say that again. People who find the fulfilling life that Jesus promised build habits into their lives that people who struggle to find it simply aren't willing to commit to. And we're not just talking about any habits because we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the first. We're talking about putting him first. So if we're going to talk about what's most important, then we're going to talk about three commodities in our lives that are most important. And what are the most important things in our lives? It's our time, it's our money, and our talents. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to unpack those three habits as quickly as we can. I see the clock. I promise I do. And uh, I'll get you there before the Baptists get to the restaurant. I promise I will. You because this is first service. I make no promises to 11 o'clock service, none whatsoever. The good news is, guys, if God is number one in the three habits I'm going to share with you today, he's number one. And what's his promise if he's number one? All this other stuff you've been striving for just begins to come to you. That's how it works. One more thing. I promise I'm going to get through this introduction. I promise I am. But one more thing before we get into it. If you really want to develop a habit, not just a New Year's resolution that's going to fade by mid-February. If you really want to make this a habit, then you need three things. You need a reason. Why am I going to do this? You need a routine. How am I going to do this? And you need to have a sense of what the result is going to be. What's the payoff? Okay. Can I use my diet as an example? A lot of you guys are starting to notice that I've lost a couple of pounds. Here's, for me, the reason was when you guys called me to be your senior pastor, I realized that I had blood pressure issues and cholesterol issues and weight issues. And if I wanted to do this long enough to actually make an impact and help us go to the next level, I needed to get healthy. Is that good motivation? Yeah, that's a good motivation. And so what was my routine? I went and found a plan and a coach. I found somebody to hold me accountable, 
and a, and a way to do it. And so I went after it. And so I had a reason. I had a routine. And the result, my hope is that I'll be able to live long enough, healthy enough, have the energy long enough for us to derive the benefit. Because i got to be honest with you, I'm just, I'm blessed. 40 pounds lighter, i got the highest energy levels I've had in a long time. And I just believe that 40, none of your business years of ministry, um, that the best is yet to come. I, I just think, I do. I just... I just, I just got this feeling, and in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about that as a church family, but, but I just got a feeling that God's about to do something extraordinary to build on the foundation that Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie laid here at the bridge and to build on the foundation of things that he's taken me through over these 47 years of ministry. Good stuff's coming. So let's get into it quickly. Three habits, just, just enough to give you uh, the reason, the routine, and the result of each of these three habits, and then we're going to make some decisions together. Ready? Habit number one is you need a time with God. We talked about time, uh, talents, and treasures. Uh, you need a time with God. What, there, what, why? What's the reason for needing a time with God? There's lots of reasons, but here's a big one. Uh, Psalm uh, 25, verse 4 from the New King James. Read it with me out loud. One, two, three, go. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Now, I want you to imagine that you're standing at a crossroads. You've got a decision to make. You don't know which way to go, and you're praying this prayer. Now, pray it like you mean it, okay? Here we go. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Which way do I need to go? Any of you ever gotten so busy, so distracted by so many thoughts and so many things that you forgot where you were going? Come on. It's Kim's favorite thing to tell on me. Uh, you know, I'm the driver, she's the navigator. And, and, and I don't know what, I'd, what I would do if she weren't there to navigate me because I get my mind on all kinds of stuff driving down the road and I'll turn and she'll say, why did you turn there? That seemed like the thing to do, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we just passed our turn, right? Yeah, my mind was somewhere else. I mean, that's what we do. <laughs> and I, I don't feel too bad about that. Excuse me. I don't feel too bad about that because that was my dad. My dad's motto in life is I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm headed, but I'm making good time. <laughs> Truth is, we all do that in every area of our lives, don't we? We waste incredible amounts of time looking for stuff, trying to figure out what's the next step, stalled because we don't know what to do about a decision that we need to make. Anybody with me? I... I used to lose my checkbook every day of my life. I fixed that. Kim took it away from me. And uh, <laughs> now I just go to the one who knows where it is and say, Kim, I need the checkbook. Where is it? You see, this is the solution to that. Uh, by the way, I, I have a disease. It's not my fault. I have a disease. Uh, you, ladies, you tell me if, if your husband or the man in your life have it. It's called MPB. I don't know if you've heard of that syndrome, MPB. It's real, Okay. It's called male pattern blindness. It's, male. it's a syndrome. We can't help it. Here's how it works. You tell me if it's true. Uh, Kim says to me, would you go get the butter out of the refrigerator? Okay. So I go to the refrigerator, open the door, and I say, I don't see it. Where is it? And she says, it's in the door. Okay. So I look in the door, and I say, I don't see it. She says, it's on the top shelf of the door. I'm looking at the top shelf. I don't see it. It's on the right-hand side of the top shelf of the refrigerator door. I just don't see it. She comes, reaches over my shoulder, picks it up, sticks it in my face, and I go, oh, I didn't know it looked like that. 
right? Male pattern blindness, is it real? It's real. Well, we all got that, guys. So what's the routine? How do we go about fixing that? Luke 5, 16, this is from Jesus himself. Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. Well, if Jesus needed to slip away to be alone to pray, anybody think we might need to? There's a couple of key words. Let me grab them before we move on. First of all, there's the word alone. You ever tried to carry on a serious conversation in a crowd? L- let me make it more intimate. Uh, guys, have you ever tried to have a romantic conversation with your wife while the kids are at the table? Oh, darling, I've been thinking about you all day. Daddy, can I have a cookie? I've been really, you know, just imagining we could spend some time. Dad, will you play this board game with me? I mean, it's almost impossible, right? And so intimacy requires privacy. You might want to tweet that. Intimacy requires privacy. That's what happens. And so there's a place for corporate prayer. There's a place for corporate worship. There's a place for for group prayer in a small group setting where we're praying for one another, really sharing our hearts of what's going on and praying in agreement with one another. But hear me, guys. If you want to make Jesus the center of your life, you need some alone time with him. You need some quiet time with him. You need to be alone with him. What else did the model, Jesus model say? It said, often. I, I, I hear you, Pastor Jim, but I'm so busy. You know, I just get, I forget, and then I go days, and I think about it, and I said, so, man, I should. Nobody that ever lived was more busy than Jesus. He lived for three and a half years and changed the, all of history. Nobody was busier than him, but he knew the power to fulfill the call that the Father put on his life required that he stay in intimate, alone-time conversation with the Father. So what's the result? What's the payoff? The payoff is you get help. You get God's guidance. You get his direction. You get his power. You get stayed keyed in on what you need to know. And in the process, you find intimacy with him. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you, what does it say? remain in me and my words remain in you in other words if you stay focused on our relationship you spend time with me and you listen to me then what happens what's the result of that whatever you wish it'll be done for you now that's an incredible promise the question is why don't we see that more well again there's one of those if then deals if you will do this then i will do that does that does that sound worth making an effort in that area to you it's not a trick question you can do your heads like this if it does so what does often mean to you i mean there are people that have said to me well you have to spend 15 minutes every morning before 6 a.m for this to work in that case i'm in trouble because <laughs> i'm not sure god's awake at 6 a.m i'm just not I don't know, I ain't got no Bible for that, but I'm just not sure of it. And the reason I'm not sure is I've never actually talked to him before 6 in the morning. I've never talked to anybody I can remember that was an elusive conversation before 6 in the morning. I'm just not a morning person. How many morning people are there in the room? God bless that hand. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Where's Jamie Sanders? I hate you with a passion. Goes for a run every morning at 4.30 or something. I hate you, Jamie. <laughs> How many of you are better at night? Well, there's three of us. <laughs> How many are no good morning or evening? You're just no good, just <laughs> useless. 
Truth is, we all struggle with that kind of thing. But what we're talking about, quite frankly, is consistency. You understand that's why we ask you to do a 21-day fast? It's not just so we can say, hey, we're fasting for 21 days. Yay. I'm excited that churches across the country are doing it and the organizations are doing it across the country. I get that. I'm excited about that. But what we're trying to do is get you to do this thing consistently enough over a three-week period of time that it'll begin to be a habit for you. And so every day I'm going on Facebook and I'm posting what I feel like God prompted me to pray over, adding a scripture to it. If you go to the Bridge Facebook page and like it, you can get those. Send me a friend request. You can get them off of my wall. But every day, what am I doing? I'm trying to prompt you. And I'm not asking you to pray the way I pray. I'm just giving you some seed thoughts for you to get going. Because during this 21 days, I want you to build a, a, a big splash in the middle, creating big ripples and you start with time with God, whether it's daily, hourly, minutely, but consistently time with God. Got it? Habit number one is a time with God. Habit number two is a tithe to God. And I know as soon as we start talking about tithing, there are people whose sphincter shrivels up. I mean, it's just kind of, oh, man. What in the world is tithing got to do with intimacy? Here's the bottom line, guys. Tithing has far more to do with trust than it does money. Tithing comes down to, do I really, really, really believe in a tangible kind of way demonstrate that I really, really believe that what God said he would do will in fact be true? Do I trust him? We don't spend a lot of time talking about this topic around here. We're certainly not one of those churches trying to get you to give and come on, dig deep, come reach in the pocket beside you and give like you always wanted to. You know, we don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. I know churches that keep taking the offering until they meet budget. You know, we're just not that kind of place. But i got to tell you that I would fail you as your pastor if I didn't teach you this principle because the bigger splash you make in the center the bigger the ripple effects are, and if we really put in God first, then it's going to be our time and our treasures. I mean, that's just reality, guys. That's what's going to happen. Hear me. Tithing is not a grim duty that we face. It is not writing checks because the preacher talked us into it, and it's not even blind trust that I hope against hope that things will work out if I do this. So what's the reason for it. Why would anybody set aside 10% of their income to give to God? The Bible actually gives us three reasons. First of all, tithing is a tangible act of, of worship. You know what the word worship means? We talked about it last summer. It, it, it's the word worth-ship. It has to do with ascribing value. So when you put God first in your worship, then you're saying he has the highest value in your life. Well, here's what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 14.23, the purpose of tithing is... So there'll be enough money in the church. Is that what it says? Purpose of tithing is it so God will have more money. Is that what it says? What is it? The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So let's just be honest. If I say, God, I want you to be number one in my life, but I'm not putting you number one in my time or my treasures... Do my actions match my words? They just don't, do they? They just don't. And if you say, well, pastor, I hear you, but, but we're living in New Testament times, and tithing is an Old Testament 
concept. I will respond, I don't necessarily agree with that, but let's look at the New Testament. Let's see what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you put your money in a boat, where's your heart? You're sitting at work wishing you were on the boat. Am I right? You buy season tickets to, a, to the Panthers. You're sitting in church on Sunday morning wishing you were at the game because you spent a lot of money for those tickets. And if you go to the game, you're sitting at the game feeling guilty because you probably ought to be in church, right? It's a tug at your heart strength. What am I saying? I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the simple truth is that, that where you put your finances, your heart will follow. It always does. So if you want God to be at the center, finances has to be a part of it. And I believe the Bible calls that first fruits what you do up front. No outward response. I can move on. But no, so no, I want you to sit real still. I really do. And I want you to respond. Of those of you who have settled this thing in your heart, and you've decided to make this commitment, and you've honored this commitment since you started laying up treasures in heaven. Are you closer to God or further away? I think the answer is pretty tangible. When you get that, tithing becomes a tangible act of worship. Number two, tithing is a tangible expression of thanks. Psalm 116, verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? That's that kind of thing, you know, somebody does something for you and you say thank you, but it doesn't feel like enough. You say, man, I, I, what can I do? I want to do something to show you how much I appreciate that. Quite often, that's what tithing is. When God does these amazing things for you, he blesses you. It gives you a fresh outlook on life. He gives you a vision for the future. He gives you the power to live out that vision. He does these amazing things. He lets you be a part of a church where he's obviously working in amazing kinds of ways, and we get to be a part of what God is doing. There's this desire to do something tangible as a, as a thank you for what God has been doing in your life. The bottom line, though, is that tithing is a tangible demonstration of obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, I want you to see that comma because that's an important comma. Many people have translated that verse of Scripture or interpreted that passage of Scripture by saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That's kind of the old school way of looking at it, right? If you're not doing what I say, then you must not love me. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not consistent with Jesus' character. There's a comma in there. And what he's saying is, if you love me, then you're going to do what I say. Because you love me. And you know that I love you. And you know that I would never tell you to do something that wasn't good ultimately for you. So if you love me, this becomes a no-brainer. Jesus loves me. He wants me to do this. Okay, let's go. Kim asked me to do something for her. I can't wait to do it. I'm just like, whoa, come on. Yeah, let's do this. She and the grandbabies are coming for a visit this weekend. I'm so excited. So she said, when I get there, I want us to set up a bed for our oldest grandson. Well, guess what I did? I, yesterday afternoon, I got home from a conference. I went in and started cleaning the bedroom. I got a bed set up in there. I sent her a picture. I said, hey, I already got it set up. I was so excited. Why? Because I love her. And I couldn't wait to do it for her. It's not because, oh, no, Kim's going to be mad when she gets here, and I haven't done that for her. It's, you know, out of love. There's this obedience. There's this, yeah, I want to do what you want me to do. Let's move on. What's the routine? What are the mechanics of it? A couple of things. 1 Corinthians 12, 16, 2. On the Lord's day, each of you should put aside something from which you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. It's called first fruits. So I realize everybody didn't get paid every week. 
just when you get paid, the point is consistency. Does it sound like a habit to you? It's just consistency. I got paid. I'm going to set first fruits aside for the Lord. And when do you do that? You do it on the Lord's day because tithing's an act of worship. Well, you know, I get paid once a month, so I just set it up once a month. It automatically happens. I get an email that says I did it. Okay, great. Good. So it's not about the time frame. It's about first fruits. It's about saying, I want to put you first in my finances, and I'm going to trust that you will do what you said you would do. So the rest of the routine and the result, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, bring it to where the food is stored. And what happens? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The bottom line is this, guys, and I'll move on. God has promised to get supernaturally involved in your financial life if you will put him first. If you choose not to, you're on your own. It's that simple. And so I'm begging you as your pastor, as somebody who cares about you, please put him first because every other ripple effect in your life is affected by the splash in the middle. And if it's Jesus we're talking about, we are talking about time, treasures, and what's the third one? Talents. So if I really want to do what God wants, and if I really want to put his kingdom first, I'm going to give a time, I'm going to have a time with God, often alone and consistent. I'm going to have a tithe to God as an act of worship, an act of thanks, an act of obedience. And then habit number three, I'm going to give a talent. I'm going to have a talent for God. We're talking about your gifts, your, your abilities, the skills that God has given you. Uh, we're given uh, talents by God, and our gift to Him is how we use them. Lots of reasons. Let me give you the bottom line one, though, okay? This is from Jesus. John chapter 13. Some of you perhaps are familiar with that passage. This is just before Jesus <coughs> went to Calvary. This is just before he went through all of the things. He met with his disciples for the last time uh, in a dinner setting before his death and ultimate resurrection when he reunites with them. Here we go. John 13, 3 through 5. John knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped in a towel, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them, and the towel that was wrapped around with the towel that was wrapped around him. You, you understand what that passage says? Just put it succinctly. Jesus knew that all authority on the planet was his. God had given him all power and all authority. What did he do with it? He served. And he served humbly. He washed his disciples' feet. Now look at what he said. This is huge. This is huge. Pick it up. Here's what he said about us. Verses 12 and 14. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Quote, do you understand what I have done for you? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So everybody take your shoes off. We're going to start washing feet now. That's not what he's saying. We're not talking about the, the legalities of it. We're talking about serving, serving one another, serving humbly. We're talking about humbling ourselves, getting rid of our pride, and just serving one another. Uh, but here's what I want you to hear. There are only two times in Jesus' ministry on earth, two times, 
that he said those words, do you understand? How many of your parents, parents, grandparents, got some parents, grandparents in this house? Yeah. You ever looked at one of your kids, got their attention, got them to look around and you say, do you understand what I just said? Why do you do that? Because you know this is a biggie, right? It's really, 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 really important that they get what you just said. And so you say a lot of things during the course of the day. Do your chores, do your homework, you know, get up, we've got to get going, you're going to be late for school. We say a lot of stuff, but every now and then we pull them around and we get them in front of us and say, do you understand? There's only two times that Jesus did that in his entire earthly ministry. One time when he described to them that there's going to be a day when the sheep and the goats will be separated. There's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. And the other time is here when he said, whatever power, whatever authority, whatever gifts, whatever abilities the Father has given you, use them to serve humbly. Simply put, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. So what's the routine? How do we serve? Romans 12, 7, and 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Lots of other gifts listed in the Scriptures, but you get the gist of what Paul is saying, right? So whatever your gifts are, use them. What's the result? What's the payoff? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What's he saying? He's saying that he gave you these gifts in order that you could steward his grace to people. What does it mean to steward? It means to manage it well. It means to distribute it properly. And so here's what happens, guys. When we serve, we're not just using our gifts as an offering to God. We are actually becoming agents, managers of God's grace that then becomes available to the people that are around us. And that's why you hear me say, you'll hear me say a lot, don't just come to church, be the church. Serve. Find out what your gifts, talents, and abilities are and plug in. That's part of what Test Drive is all about. Get in there and serve. Do something because when you do, you become a part of God's amazing grace that's being distributed across this house. I don't know if you guys know it or not, but more than 150 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ in 2017 through this church. Can we give God praise for that? <laughs> And I can't wait to tell you what the goals are for 2018, but you're going to have to come back in two weeks to get those. Uh, but here's what I'm saying. One of the reasons that God's grace gets distributed is because this is a serving house. Would you agree with that statement? This is a serving house. We serve. We all put our shoulder to the same wheel. We push in the same direction. And the result is we get to be more like Jesus who took whatever power and authority he had, in his case all of it, and he served, in our case, whatever gifts we have, we give it to him. Here's another with social media things. Grace flows through the service of those who have received it. Grace flows through the service of those who have received that grace. I've got to wrap this up. 
If we're going to put Christ at the center, if we're going to really put Jesus in the center in practical terms, we need three habits built into our lives. We need a time with God, we need a tithe to God, and we need a talent for God. Three simple habits in three key areas of life, time, money, and talents. And God said, if you'll make me number one in those number one areas, then all these things will be added to you. Simple, right? God bless you. Thanks for coming. The problem is that all of us will hear a sermon like this and go, boy, he's right. I probably should do better. I should get involved. Uh, I'm going to as soon as the dust settles, as soon as I get through this season, as soon as I fix these things, as soon as you fill in the blank. It's just what we do, right? Can I let you in on a little secret? Someday is actually never. It just That's the way it works. And so in the scriptures, when the people of God were called to specific commitments like that, uh, they had a very specific way of helping people to get started on this journey. It dates back to 440 B.C. in the day of Nehemiah. They had just rebuilt the walls around the city, and they were reestablishing worship in the city, and Nehemiah called them to worship, and then when he did, he, he, he got the people to agree, let's be worshipers, let's reestablish the worship of Jehovah God in the city of Jerusalem. He got them to commit to it, but then he took it to the next level. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, giving it to you in the, in the children's Bible, International Children's Bible, real simple, here it is. We are making an agreement in writing. Our leaders, Levites, and priests are putting their seals on it. In other words, they agreed together to reestablish worship, and they agreed to help each other to get there, and, and they did that very specifically in writing. So in your chair, you may be sitting on it or you may have seen it when you sat down. I want you to get a little card in your hand. It'll be up on the screens. Just a second. There it is. And you'll see that card. It simply says, a time with God, a tithe to God, a talent for God. Everybody got one in your hands? If you can't see one, lift your hand. The ushers are back there. Be glad to put one in your hand. Nobody's going to embarrass you. We're not going to single anybody out. I just want you to get it in your hand. Everybody got one? Everybody? Okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider doing. I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to make these commitments, I'm going to ask you to print your name very, very, very legibly uh, on the name, on the line where it says name. And then we're going to give you an opportunity. There'll be receptacles at the back door after the service. We're going to ask you to turn them in. And here's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to pray over every one of them. And I'm going to pray that as you put Christ in the center of your life, that all this stuff will get added. I'm going to pray for you by name. Take some time this week, but this is critical stuff. And then we're going to laminate them and we're going to mail them back to you. And that will become a reminder for you that not only did you make this commitment on this day, but your pastor's standing with you. Would you consider doing that? Get it in your hands right now. We're going to pray. Write your name legibly. If you've never filled out a Connect card, it's important that you do that today so we have your address to send it back to. But I'm going to ask you simply to write your name very, and not just as a couple, I'm going to ask you as individuals, even though you may be serving together as a couple, you may be giving together as a couple, this is a personal thing between you and Jesus. 
I'm going to ask you to write your name on that while we pause and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, you see our hearts. You see the commitments that we're making now to put you first. We really, we really want our families to be healthy and strong. We want our marriages and our kids and our extended families to be strong. We, we want very, very much for our finances uh, to be stable. We, we don't, we don't want to be always wondering how to pay the bills. We want to be able to walk in the freedom, the financial freedom. Lord, we want to give back the talents that you've given us so that others can find the grace that we have found in Jesus. So as we put our names on this card, Lord, see our hearts and know that what we're doing is we're saying, I want to put you first. In Jesus' name. Sometimes it's a scary thing to do something like this. You, you, the, you immediately start to say, oh, man, what, what, what if I fill that card out and turn it in and Pastor Jim prays over it and then I mess up? You know, I, 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 I'm not as consistent as I should be with my time and, and I, I'm not as consistent as I could be with my tithe and, and I'm not serving all the time like I really feel like I should. What, what do I do? Well, here, here's what I say to you. How many of you ever missed a meal? Anybody here ever missed a meal? God bless that hand. I see that. You ever missed a meal? How many of you, after you missed that meal, said, oh, man, I have blown it. I am never going to eat again. <laughs> what do you do? You just go to the next meal and start back. That's all we're saying. Nobody's consistent. We are imperfect people in an imperfect world doing our best to put Jesus in the center. This is just simply a way to help us, to remind us. I know people uh, have done this type of thing in churches Several times over the years, I know people still carry their card in their wallet from years and years later. Take advantage of this opportunity. Let's pray and we'll close. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that we have your promise that if we will put you first, all these things will be added to us. And so as we make these commitments today, as we make them in tangible terms of time, talent, uh, treasures and talents, as we make them in, in real terms, uh, commitment terms by putting it in writing and sharing with our spiritual leaders. I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower your promises in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? There'll be receptacles at the door on your way out. Just drop those cards in there. Uh, we'll, we'll be working on those things to get them signed, prayed over individually, laminated. may not get back to you this week because there'll be a lot of them signed, hundreds of them to process through, but we will get them back to you. So please, God bless you guys as you go from this place and as we make Jesus the center. Father, thank you. Keep us safe. Traveling mercies as we go. Use each of us as individuals. Use our families. Use this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. The altars are open. If you want to pray with somebody this morning, we'd love to pray with you.